0: Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him ephphatha which is be opened and his ears were opened his tongue was released and he spoke plainly and jesus charged them to tell no one but the more he charged them the more zealously they proclaimed it and they were astonished beyond measure saying he has done all things well He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Well, today's reading is a story about the lost opportunities of those who had a godly heritage and a godly calling, while those who are essentially very far away from God were the ones who received Jesus and received the blessing. The greatest start to life that any child can be given is a godly heritage. And I, I, I believe that very strongly. You know, when I look at the world, it, to me it just seems absolutely absurd The lengths that some people will go to to make sure that their kids get every other opportunity in life. Some people spend a fortune ensuring that their kids get the very best education that money can buy. They they run over town all weekend and many mornings and many afternoons, making sure that their kids can get trained in all sorts of sports and cultural pursuits. They do everything that they can for their kids. They don't want their kids to have to put them out put themselves out too much at all because well they don't want to put any undue pressure on their children they make sure their kids are equipped with the latest iDevice or whatever other gadget it is they think might help them to cope in the world and so they pay for their phone they pay for their phone credit and laptop and data they'll do everything they can to try and help their kids get ahead in the world but you know what The greatest start to life that you can give your child is a godly heritage. In the long run, all of that other stuff doesn't matter at all. Growing up in a Christian home, um, and I'm going to make a bit of a sexist statement here, growing up in a Christian home, especially if the dad of that home is a worshipping Christian, exponentially increases the chances of the children who are born into that household becoming Christians too. I was reading some research the other day. It is an older study and it was actually conducted by the Swiss government. I have no idea why, um, but but it was. And it was published in the year 2000. So it's old data and it's not from Australia, but I think it still reveals something pretty important here. According to this study, In families where both the father and mother attended worship regularly, 33% of their children grew up to also become regular churchgoers. Now, of course, we know that that doesn't mean that they became Christians because we know that going to church does not make anyone a Christian any more than going to a shearing shed makes you a sheep. But we know that most animals that go to a shearing shed are sheep and most people who go to church go there today because well it actually means something to them and they want to worship God but in families where the father was irregular in worship right so he'd just go occasionally and the mother was regular in worship only three percent of their children became regular worshipers when they grew up isn't that amazing the difference And then it goes down even further. If the father is completely non-practicing, so he never goes to church, but the mother went regularly, only 2% of their children became regular worshippers. Now, here's the surprising one. If the father was committed to God and the father worshipped regularly and the mother didn't, 38% of their kids grew up to become regular worshippers. Now, I find those figures staggering, the difference that a godly father can make in a family. I just find those figures staggering. Now, once again, those figures come from Europe and those figures are old, um, so they would be quite different for us here in Australia today. But, but the pattern, it does remain the same. And I'm pretty sure you would have seen, as have, as have I, how this played out over and over and over again where a Christian woman marries a non-Christian man and they have kids and even though the mother does her best to encourage the kids in the faith because dad is disinterested, well, the kids don't seem to engage either. I've seen this so many times and that's the sad reality. And I guess I sort of, I just cannot understand how a Christian woman would would begin dating a non-Christian man and, and perhaps even go on to marry him. The greatest start to life that you can give your child is a godly heritage. Now, as a parent, my greatest hope and my greatest prayer for my children, well, my greatest prayer at all, was that when my children grew up, That they would choose to follow Jesus for themselves. And I suspect that most of us here who are parents have been praying that for for our children. Bringing our children up in the way of the Lord is the greatest legacy that we can give them. A godly heritage is so valuable. And I want to talk today to people who are children of Christian parents. I want to talk to people now who, who have had this godly heritage. Maybe your parents were Christians and they brought you along to church. Maybe your grandparents even were Christians. And um, I want you to know this is the most valuable start that you could have to following Jesus. But it's only the start. Be warned do not despise this godly heritage, don't take your Christian heritage for granted. You see, there are many people today who have had the godly parents. They've had the godly upbringing. They have the godly heritage. The parents have taken them along to Sunday school and church and youth group. They've read them bedtime stories about Jesus. They've taught them to pray, but they didn't value it. The children didn't value it, and they rejected Jesus. Oh, they mightn't, have, they mightn't believe that they rejected Jesus, that they might still today have the attitude, oh, I was brought up in a Christian home, I'm a Christian. But in reality, they're not. No matter how godly your upbringing has been, you are not a Christian until you are born again. You are are not a Christian until you are the one who turns from your life of sin and gives your heart wholeheartedly to Jesus. As Melissa was saying before in the kid story, God is our heavenly father. He is not our heavenly grandfather. God has children And he has enemies. He doesn't have grandchildren. So which one are we? Which one are you? Are you a child of God? Or are you an enemy of God? Are you a child of God? Have you been born again? Or are you under the delusion that your godly heritage is going to save you? And so, my plea to everyone here today doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, do not take your godly heritage for granted. Now, in our message last week, we encountered the Jewish religious leaders, the the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the leaders of the people of Israel. These people are the ones who had a magnificent godly heritage, they had a godly calling. They were God's chosen people, and yet when they encountered the Son of God, they rejected him. They had everything going for them. They'd been taught the law of God. They'd been schooled up in the ways of God from the time that they were little children. They'd heard the teaching of the prophets for years. They knew that the Messiah was coming, and they were looking forward for him. But when Jesus came, they rejected him. They were more interested in their petty little ceremonies that that they made, their ceremonial washing of their hands is the example given, a ceremony that they created for themselves, by the way. They were more interested in this and more concerned that Jesus and his disciples weren't washing their hands like their ceremony said that they should. They are more concerned about that than what they were in the work of God himself. And to these people, Jesus set them straight. And and Jesus said, it's what's on the inside that makes a person unclean. Because coming out of the heart, that's where wickedness comes from. It's not because you haven't washed your hands. And that's where we left it off last week. And so last week, we saw an example of those who had a godly heritage rejecting Jesus. And now today, in the reading that we had today, we get to see an example of some of those who were far off from God, being the ones who received Jesus and being blessed by Jesus. So Jesus goes into the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre, by the way, you spell it the same way as you spell a tyre on your car. Now, these were predominantly Gentile regions, all right? So Jesus has left the Jewish rural countryside of Galilee and he's headed west. He's gone over the mountains and he's headed to, the port, to a port on the Mediterranean Sea, a place called Tyre. Now, in the Old Testament, Tyre itself is depicted as a really arrogant and ungodly sort of a place. Uh, In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 28, the prince of Tyre is getting a tongue lashing from God. And the picture that's painted in in Ezekiel chapter 28 is this bloke full of greed and pride and arrogance. And as we continue reading through Ezekiel chapter 28, it it doesn't take long before we realise, hey, hang, hang on, is God still talking about a leader of a country here or is he talking about Satan himself? And I think he actually is talking about Satan himself. Is he describing the prince of Persia or is he describing the prince of demons? So this is how evil this place was. And in this ungodly place of Tyre, Jesus is there incognito. He's, He's hiding out in a house. I don't know why. Maybe he's wanting to have a bit of time out from the crowds that continually kept coming to him. But a Gentile woman, Syrophoenician by birth, discovers where Jesus is and comes to see him. Now, Mark is at pains here to get across to us just how far away from God this woman was. She was in the ungodly city of Tyre, She is a Gentile. The word here is is actually Hellenist, which means she was a Greek. Now, when you talk about the Greeks, you're talking about a pagan culture. They worshipped a multitude of gods. To the Jews, the Greeks were amongst the uncleanest of the unclean because they were so thoroughly pagan. She is Syrophoenician. She's everything that the Jews hated. Syria... And Phoenicia came together under the rule of Rome. And in the Old Testament, the Syrians were really hard against Israel, right? They were the oppressors of Israel. So here she is. By all accounts, this woman is somebody whose heritage, well, you probably couldn't get much further away from God. But she's the one who seeks Jesus out. And she finds him. Why is she looking for him? Because her daughter has an unclean spirit, a demon. Now, you find yourself wondering, can this family get any further from God? All of this uncleanness just keeps stacking up. An unclean woman in an unclean city of an unclean religion with a daughter who has an unclean spirit. And this is the woman who comes to Jesus and she begs Jesus, please, can you cast the demon out of my little girl? Now, that's a reasonable request of a desperate mother, isn't it? How do you like Jesus' answer? I reckon most people today would take enormous offence at Jesus' reply to this woman. In fact, some preachers try and explain the offence out of it, but you can't. You just can't. Jesus said, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Did Jesus really say that? Yeah, he did. Some preachers say, oh, he's using actually the word there for little dogs. So he's not calling them dogs. He's not being disparaging, saying, you're dirty dogs. He, he's talking about cute little cuddly puppies. Rubbish. I mean, the Jew, to the Jews, this woman was representing everything that was unclean. The Jews were the chosen ones, not the Gentiles. The Jews had this godly heritage, not the Gentiles. Jesus came, the Jewish Messiah came for the people of Israel. And so Jesus said, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, since I gave this message, I was asked to explain this interaction between Jesus and this woman a bit more fully. So, in the little parable that Jesus gave, the children represent the people of Israel, and the dogs represent the Gentiles. Okay, so Jesus said, let the children be fed first. Jesus came first and foremost for the, for the children of Israel, for his chosen people, for the Jews. And it, he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, So Jesus is the bread of life. He had come for the people of Israel. And so it's not right that Jesus would go first to the Gentiles because he had come first for the Jews. And so it's not right to take the bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right for Jesus to go straight to the Gentiles. But this woman replied, Yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Right, So she was acknowledging, yes, we Gentiles, yep, we're the dogs. Yes, you were supposed to come first for the Jews. Um, but the thing is, the Jews were discarding Jesus. They weren't listening to Jesus. And, and there, to them, he was just the scraps that they drop under the tables. And she's saying, yeah, so can't we Gentiles have a bit of you too? And now we'll come back to the message. Now I wonder, how would you or I respond if Jesus gave that answer to us? I reckon most people today would be truly offended by this and say, well, blow you and walk away. But not this lady. The understanding that this woman displays in her reply is amazing Yes, Lord. She agreed. I am but a dirty dog. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You know what she's saying? Here I am. I'm I'm here waiting for you, Jesus, to give me whatever mercy you can give me. I'll take it. Jesus did come first for Israel, but the fact is, Jesus was largely rejected by Israel. Crumbs under the table, you see. Crumbs for the dogs. Jesus had much grace to give away, but Israel despised it. Jesus came as the bread of life, but most of Israel rejected him. They dropped him to the ground crumbs for the dogs. This Syrophoenician woman, she actually understood her unworthiness. She knew that she didn't have any legitimate basis on which to make a claim on God. She knew that she didn't deserve the mercy of Jesus. She understood that Jesus came first for the people of Israel But it seems that she also understood that the grace of God could extend well beyond the people of Israel to all those who would seek him. And so Jesus says, good answer. Because of that answer, the demons left your daughter. And she went home and she found the child lying in the bed and the demon was gone. Righto. So from Tyre, Jesus then continues northwards to Sidon. Now, we don't hear anything at all about what Jesus did in Sidon. We're just told that he went there. And then the next stop, he then obviously went back over the mountains, back inland to the Sea of Galilee, and either skirted around it or across on the boat. We're not told how he got there, but he ends up on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee in the region known as the Decapolis. Now, that's a group of 10 Gentile cities. Right? So once again, he's in Gentile territory. Verse 32. And they brought him, so sorry, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. But this isn't something that Jesus did for everyone to see. This is something he did privately. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right, so Jesus has been pretty much rejected by those who had the godly heritage. But now we've got two examples of those godless Gentiles receiving the blessing. And you couldn't shut them up about Jesus. The more more Jesus tried to say, hey, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, they just kept on proclaiming the praises of God. By the way, praising the name of Jesus is a natural response to when we experience the grace of God. Praising the name of Jesus isn't something that we should try and conduct people to do. Praising the name of Jesus is something that should be coming from the heart because we've experienced the grace of God and we we praise him for it. Let's come forward to today. Having a godly heritage is a wonderful thing. But it's not our godly heritage that saves us. Nor does having an ungodly heritage mean that we can't be saved. Those who are saved are those who know that they are unworthy and that they need a saviour. Just like that Syrophoenician woman. We can't be saved and we, unless we have the attitude that she had to know that we're unworthy, to know that we don't deserve it, but to also know that we need a saviour. It's only when I realize that I'm completely unworthy. It's only when I realize that I am but a dirty dog. It's only when I recognize this truth about myself that I'm actually ready to fall at the feet of Jesus and be saved. But do you know what the biggest barrier to this is? Something called pride. Pride is that thing that says, I'm not that bad. It's only a humble heart that will bow before Jesus. It's only a humble heart that will agree, yes, Lord, I am but a dirty dog. But I know that your grace is big enough, even for me. no matter how godly your heritage is or how ungodly your background is, God's grace is oodles big enough. It extends to the most vile of sinners when they fall on their knees and submit to Jesus as Lord. That's how big God's grace is. That's how mighty God's grace is. That's the grace that we've experienced. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me of my pride. Before I came to you, I was but a dirty dog. Before I came to you, as I came to you, I was full of sin and evil. That was me. And, Lord, I call out to you, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please extend to me your amazing grace and forgive us our sins. And, Lord, fill not only our hearts but our mouths with praise for your mighty name. And fill our mouths with with thanks for your marvellous salvation. In Jesus' name. Amén.